0: Welcome back to episode six of the Empowering America podcast brought to you by the Empowerment Alliance. We speak with the biggest players in the fight to provide clean, affordable and abundant natural gas about continuing the natural gas revolution and fighting back against the Green New Deal. I'm your host, Patrick Snow, and today I'm joined by my friend, Matt Hammond, uh, former president of the Ohio Oil and Gas Association, and the newest executive director of the Empowerment Alliance. How are you doing today, Matt?
1: Good, Patrick. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. I'm I'm, uh, happy you're able to join us. And and I speak for uh, everyone uh, here at at T to to say that we're really excited to to have you come on board as our our new executive director.
1: Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here, uh, to be a part of the organization and look forward to uh, getting to work.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So just a a little look back. Uh, This is the sixth episode of of the Empowering America podcast. Uh, Over the past year, a year and a half, we've had guests on uh, like Ted Cruz and uh, uh, Senator uh, John Kennedy in Louisiana, uh, Congressman Steve Scalise. Uh, So we've really had some big names and I'm excited to bring you on, Matt, because you've got real direct industry experience um, in your time as president of the Ohio Oil and Gas Association, uh, doing great work for the for the folks uh, in Ohio. Um, so let's just dive right in. Can you describe your experience in the energy industry and your role uh, as president of the Ohio Oil and Gas Association?
1: Yeah, it's actually, uh, I've been around the industry for a while now, um, going back to about 2006, when I was doing work on uh, the Rockies Express Pipeline project in Ohio, uh, where we were focused on, um, you know, reaching out to local officials, landowners uh, for, at that time, I think it was about uh, nearly 1700 mile long pipeline. Um, and from that point, I got the, I got the itch to to be in the industry sector, uh, had the opportunity to work for Chesapeake Energy when they started leasing um, uh, oil and gas minerals in Ohio uh, to develop the Utica Shale, and I directed all their policy work, which created a close working relationship with the Ohio Oil and Gas Association, which they were a member of. Uh, I chaired their government affairs committee. I was on the executive committee of the board. And then uh, nearly four years ago, I had the uh, uh, the privilege to be elected um, uh, uh, president, at what they now call president of the association. Um, and from that point, I've been primarily, you know, kind of two roles, one managing staff, um, overseeing personnel issues, running the organization, but also um, being the head government affairs person for UGA, um, and and which has presented a great opportunity for me to be involved in public policy issues uh, at the General Assembly, the uh, the administration at the time, and uh, it was it was a great great experience and great opportunity to learn a lot about uh, continue to learn a lot about the industry in Ohio.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Matt, you're a young guy, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, great, get great years of your career ahead of you um, working in the oil and gas industry. Was that something you always wanted to do? Did you go to school for it? How, what, and, and you said you started working on the pipeline out in Colorado. What, what uh, led you to that, um, you know, entry point into the, the industry?
1: Yeah, well, I, I was, primarily working in Ohio, the, the, uh, starting point of the pipeline was in Colorado. I know I did not go to school for, it, um, when, you know, I worked for a, uh, public affairs firm in Kinder Morgan and the Rockies express pipeline project became a client of ours. Um, and I had the opportunity, opportunity to do that work. Uh, my background from a education standpoint at, in college is just all been, uh, Uh, you know, public policy. uh, uh, I was a political science major. Um, And so I had no real knowledge of the oil and gas industry at the time when I started with uh, Rockies Express. Um, But once I got to understand what it meant uh, for people, for the country, uh, from an energy independence standpoint, it was something that I became very, very passionate about and uh, have always tried to find a way to, uh, be an advocate for one way or the other over the years.
0: Right. Right. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for, for the work you've done, uh, as an, uh, as a consumer, uh, you know, I value affordable energy and, uh, reliable energy. So I appreciate the work you've done. I, I too was a political science major. It's funny, you know, you don't really learn how to, uh, you know, go into a career with a political science major. It's really all learning on the job. But right, uh, right. Yeah, I, I think I think it's 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 good that uh, you know you have this understanding of politics and and government going into it because of you know the current uh, environment that we're in. The domestic oil and gas industry is is under attack, and and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I want to ask you. Just you know, for our audience, what how would you describe the mission of the Empowerment Alliance, otherwise known as T, and how will you, in your role as executive director, work to uh, further that mission?
1: Well, I look at T's mission as a- actually pretty pretty simple, to the extent that what the organization is advocating for is clean, affordable, reliable energy, and it is something that I think from uh, everyday homeowner probably don't necessarily think about. Um, And I think what the organization is doing is trying to shed a light on that. And I think that's extremely valuable because uh, energy impacts your everyday life. Rather, it is uh, how much it costs to heat your home, um, you know, uh, what are the costs of goods, uh, food, things like that, that's all impacted by uh, energy. You know, T stands on four key pillars. Affordable energy for all Americans, and that particularly includes uh, lower-income Americans. Uh, clean energy, abundant energy, and a domestic source of energy that can help power this com- uh, this country forward. Um, you know, I think all of those things. When you talk about especially energy independence, it's an achievable goal uh, as long as the president and policymakers. Uh, allow it to be achievable. Um, And the key to that is embracing uh, the US, the United States' place in a global energy marketplace. Uh, My role is to help, you know, educate people, uh, you know, mobilize people to, uh, you know, advocate to policymakers that you know, this is something that absolutely has to be a central focus when you come to the uh, uh, next election. Uh, what, are, what, what matters to people the most? And that is, a, to me, can be a, a, an affordable way supplied by domestic energy, not relying on foreign sources of energy, particularly countries that are not allies or adversaries. Um and and think that way when they go to the ballot box and who they vote for.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I 100% agree with you. And it's interesting you say that. I think a lot of Americans don't realize uh, how how wide-reaching the impacts of of energy are on their daily lives. And I think a lot of consumers in the United States don't even know if their energy is coming from natural gas or or if it's coming from uh, an electric heat pump or, or you name it. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, just lack that information. And so informing them, educating them, and then, uh, helping them to understand the, the impact that their vote has on, you know, their, their wallets is, is of the utmost importance. Um, how, how would you say your previous experience?
1: I, 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 I could- Go ahead, Matt. Go
0: ahead.
1: I- no, I was just going to say, you know, Patrick, you're right. Um, it's just not a matter of when I flip the switch, the lights come on that my beer is cold and that my house is warm in the winter time. Um, you know, it, it, it is absolutely how it impacts your wallet. Um, and what does that mean for, um, uh, you know, monthly bills that people have to pay and how they budget for, uh, you know, their family moving, you know, into a given month. Um, I think that's something that is critical that we educate the general public on.
0: Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, what? How would you say your previous experience within the oil and gas industry is going to be beneficial in your new role uh, at the Empowerment Alliance? And I, I know that's probably uh, sort of self-explanatory, but I, I really want to get an idea of uh, what um, added knowledge and expertise you you bring to the table, as opposed to someone who, uh, you know, was in more of like a a governmental relations type role, or um, maybe they uh, worked um, for a representative that was pro oil and gas, but they didn't work directly in the industry like you did.
1: Yeah, I I think I bring a unique uh, point of view because I'm very in tune to how natural gas and oil producers operate what mean what what is necessary for them to continue to invest capital um, in Ohio Pennsylvania West Virginia across the country really with shale development um, what costs mean to them um, and and I think what is even critically important now is what steps are they voluntarily taking to protect public health safety and the environment? Um, You know, that is something that is driving producers right now in terms of showing that they are taking all of the necessary steps to be environmentally friendly, to reduce emissions, Um, you know, to what steps can they take to protect the environment to where it's not something that the government has to tell them what to do. To where they are overly burdensome and raise costs and make development unaffordable um, and not cost efficient at all. Uh, but what are they voluntarily doing? And I think that's something that is a story that uh, not just the industry, but here at the Empowerment Alliance, we can continue to share with people. Um, you know, to I, I think that background, that knowledge is can be really uh, a value add to the Empowerment Alliance. And I look forward to bringing that background with me uh, so we can continue to share that message um, and, and, you know, uh, educate the general public on what, what we need to do and what the industry is doing moving forward.
0: Yep. I I think that that is a story that is not told enough to people. Um, And I, I was hoping we could follow that trail a little bit here and, um, could you give us an idea of uh, how the United States compares to other major energy producers worldwide in terms of the environmental standards and uh, regulations and voluntary steps that our producers take that other countries may not, uh, they, that may, other countries may completely ignore?
1: It's not even close, Patrick. Um, what, I mean, when you look at shale development starting, particularly in Pennsylvania with the Marcellus shale uh, expanding into West Virginia and now uh, in Ohio in the Utica shale, the, the there's always been a focus on environmental performance um, and producers adhere to that because at the end of the day, they live. And play in the communities in which they work. They raise their families where they work, and they want it to be environmentally friendly. Um, and there isn't another country that uh, you know requires, or companies in other countries that requires the performance that we uh, that producers hold themselves to a standard. Um, and and I, I just don't even think it's the competition is even is even close. Yeah,
0: and I and I wish that that was something that uh, you know our our leaders in Washington D.C. Uh, were more complimentary of. I, I think our domestic oil and gas industry deserves a lot of credit for leading by example for the rest of the world, and instead they've they've become the villains, which is is really sad to see um, because the idea that anyone would consciously want to pollute the the area that like you said they live and work and play i mean that that's ridiculous you know i I think we all want a clean environment and uh we just disagree on the best way to uh you know to get to the end goal um so going back to the empowerment alliance we're heading into 2022 which is crazy it feels like it was just 2019 um what what's on the horizon for for tea and, and this upcoming year?
1: Well, I think everything is geared towards um, continuing continuing to grow the grassroots coalition that we have, um, particularly as we enter the midterms for an election year, um, continue to focus on elected officials to sign the Declaration of Energy Independence uh, and to mobilize supporters to think when they go to the ballot box to vote pro energy. Um, I think it's also to continue to remind elected officials and communicate with them um, that, you know, people in this country need reliable, affordable, clean energy. Um, And that's got to be at the forefront of their minds when they go to the ballot box. And when they talk about, or think about engaging with elected officials and I, I, you know, there are a lot of organizations out there, Patrick, that, can say well, we have X number of people in our coalition, but I think what separates T and what will separate T from every other organization that has a coalition or a grassroots base like we have is the mobilization part um, and I can't hang I, I can't stress enough how important that is for people to not just sign a declaration of energy independence not just to sign up to get e to get emails. But to be mobilized and activated and say, no, this stuff is important to us and remind elected officials of that. Um, And I think that's what's just going to separate T from everybody else and what makes this organization very special.
0: I I think you hit the nail on the head there. And uh, I don't want to give away too much, but we've got uh, some big plans in motion um, specifically related to mobilizing our coalition uh, that we will be announcing uh, here in the near future, and and I, I think our our operation, um, the the folks that are part of this movement, are second to none. Uh, you know they um, they understand the importance of this issue, and we've we've been able to communicate with them uh, to the point where they are now you know chomping at the bit to uh, reach out to their elected. Representatives and make sure that you know they're voting for pro-American energy policies. They're they're reaching out to their friends and family and encouraging them to join T. Uh, so you know I I see a, a, a immense growth potential for 2022, uh, and I'm excited to to get into it with you. Um, switching gears here a little bit uh, to the current administration, uh, what missteps has, in your opinion, the Biden administration made? concerning energy policy that could be easily reversed to help bring, uh, these energy prices back down. And I should provide some context right now. Um, the cost of energy has, has risen exponentially over the past year. I think it's somewhere around 50%. Um, so back to the question, what missteps has the Biden administration made and how can they easily reverse it?
1: I think it would be, um, quicker to uh, talk about the places where they got it right, mm-hmm. uh, then talk about the places where they got it wrong. Um, this administration, since day one, has gotten it wrong on uh, energy policy. Um, you know, w- when Biden became president, it was within the first day or two that he signed an executive order that canceled the Keystone Pipeline, which... Um, obviously it was a dis- huge disappointment to the Canadians, but also to organized labor that could have had the work on the project. Um, you know, the, the hurdles that they have thrown created, uh, towards energy infrastructure, pipeline development, uh, is, is t- you can't even, uh, it's, it's devastating to the industry at the end of the day, Patrick, it's devastating. Um. And what that does to the workforce in this country, waiting on the hopes and dreams of renewable projects to be built is a disservice to uh, a president who claims that he's pro blue collar workforce. Um, And that is especially true when you consider that Russia just completed construction on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and we're sitting here on our hands doing nothing. Um, And it shows that this country under this administration when you talk about energy being on a global market marketplace is weak, and that's the complete opposite of what it should be. Um, he signed an executive order that put a halt to leasing on federal lands. Um, that's all in the name of climate change, according to this administration. But he's ignoring the fact, the fact that emissions are down in the U.S. due to the innovation of uh, natural gas and oil producers in this country. And we just talked about that a little bit ago. Um, He doesn't recognize the fact that natural gas is not part of the problem. It is the solution to uh, any conversation of climate change in this country. Um, And then at the same time, he turned around and asked OPEC plus to ramp up production while producers uh, are are discouraging domestic production in this country, which directly hurts American families, again, particularly lower income Americans, um, that we are sitting on our hands doing nothing to encourage development in this country while Russia continues to get ahead of the race and be a huge supplier of natural gas to Europe is frankly, unacceptable and it should be unacceptable to Americans.
0: Yep. And, and and I know- those are
1: just a few quick examples and we could go on and on, but I I know we only have limited time.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 no, but I, I know those two actions to uh, specifically the um, uh, allowing the completion of Nord Stream 2, he removed the sanctions on that and uh, begging OPEC to increase production. Those two actions really made uh, the industry's blood boil for good reason because absolutely it, it's really just hypocritical uh, to the the most extreme uh, the most extreme level and I, I think the perfect microcosm of the hypocrisy is uh, you know the the regulations the the stringent environmental regulations in the Northeast have made it so instead of having a pipeline that carries that natural gas from Pennsylvania and uh, Ohio up to New York and Massachusetts, they're importing liquid natural gas from Russia, and they've got Russian tankers in in the ports, you know, waiting to to offload that natural gas when we could get it faster, cheaper, and cleaner right here at home. So,
1: from I, just I, from just a state or two away,
0: right? Um, and really, I, I don't see how anyone could uh, unbiasedly take a look at that example and not wonder you know what's going through the minds of of the current administration uh but but I, I digress what uh so so you mentioned those actions that the biden administration has taken to um really result in the increased energy prices we're seeing what can but but he also has decreased our standing as a as a global energy superpower um, under president trump we For the first time, we were a net exporter of oil and gas, um, and we were well on our way to becoming an energy independent country. So right now, a lot of that progress has been diminished. What can America do to sort of reestablish itself as energy independent and a a net exporter of oil and gas?
1: It's actually pretty easy, Patrick. Um, First of all, as I talked about the executive orders President Biden signed, reverse those uh, start there right um you want to encourage uh pipeline infrastructure development you want to encourage leasing on federal lands at the end of the day if you allow leasing of private landowners state lands uh it, it, you should be leasing federal lands what's good enough for private landowners should be good enough for the federal government um you want to promote domestic natural gas production and to make it really, really simple without getting into the weeds, get out of the way, Mm -hmm. just get out of the way. Let the American, uh, natural gas and oil production to evolve and encourage companies to invest capital expenditures across the country and become a leader uh, once again in not just providing domestic energy for the United States, but also expanding your LNG exports. Um, mm-hmm. Help Europe out a little bit too, because I can promise you that a lot of people in Europe would love to get a supply of natural gas that does not come from Vladimir Putin in oh, Russia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Putin has his. Throw it around the hands of uh, the neck of Europe, and or his hands around the uh, neck of Europe by being the dominant supplier of natural gas. Um, you know, and I think you have to recognize the U.S.'s role in a global marketplace. And our adversaries don't want us to be energy independent. Well, there's a reason they don't want us to be. Um, and I think you have to encourage that production. And identify markets like i said for uh, natural gas uh liquid exports uh and across the world um, and and i think if you can just start with those to me would be very basic things um you know i, I think that's a starting point and then mm-hmm. i think there are more things that we can do that are probably more in depth and in detail that we won't get into uh for this podcast today but probably for one in the future on what the United States can do to regain itself, reestablish itself as the energy leader uh, in the world. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I think it's I think it's important that uh, we don't lose sight of that goal, um, not only for our national security, but uh, just for our the health of our economy in general. and I hope if if anyone in the Biden administration happens to be listening to this podcast, I hope that they uh, listen to that last part, the, your last answer, very closely. Um, all right, moving on. I, I want to talk a little bit about the green energy transition um, because, as Joe Manchin recently pointed out, uh, he went on record to oppose Biden's Build Back Better plan, and uh, he gave some reasons. One of the reasons was look, the green energy transition is well underway. We've invested billions of dollars into it, but if we get ahead of ourselves and we try to make a transition that the technology is not ready to make, then the the impact to our energy grid and our energy reliability and affordability will be catastrophic. And and I think Senator Manchin was really spot on um, in his uh, assessment. So Matt, what's your view on the green energy transition and how does natural gas fit into that?
1: Well, listen, uh, you want to talk about green energy, renewable, solar, that's fine. Um, I don't think that there are people in this country that say, we don't want that. We can't have that. It doesn't fit in our energy portfolio, but it's got to be able to stand on its own two feet and right now renewable solar projects cannot stand on their own two feet they're reliant on subsidies from the federal government from state governments and when you have natural gas and oil producers who are publicly traded companies backed by private equity firms that don't get subsidies at all they don't get anything and they don't want them either and it's not a level playing field, so we can have green energy, and that's fine, but they've got to be able to stand on their own and not be subsidized by state and federal governments um, I don't really see natural gas as part of the uh you know as you fit it quote unquote into the transition. I think natural gas has been the energy of the future. Um, it wasn't long ago that the Sierra club supported natural gas and their beyond coal campaign because they thought it was a bridge fuel. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. and, and they thought it was, uh, a way to get this country off of coal and transition into renewable energy. Well, they quickly found out now they're opposed to natural gas development because we have, over a 100-year supply of natural gas in the United States, um, I see it as uh, it's like I said earlier. It's a part of the solution. When you, if you want to talk about climate change, I think it should remain the fuel of the future. And um, you know, I, I don't see it as part of a transition. I see it as as the way to power this country to keep uh, citizens, uh, you know, their their heating bills low. Mm Uh, for manufacturers to expand and grow in places like Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Texas, where they're literally sitting on an affordable, clean, reliable baseload of energy, eight, 9,000 feet, uh, feet below the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's just kind of how I view it. Um, and and I think that's all that natural gas and oil producers ask for, and that is simply a level playing field.
0: Yeah, that that's well said, and and people do forget that groups like the Sierra Club were proponents, early proponents of natural gas, and former President Obama was a big fan of natural gas himself. Um, in fact, he touted the the results of reduced emissions uh, throughout the um, the shale revolution so it's it's kind of makes you wonder why has the attitude of the environmental left changed so drastically in in such a short time period and that leads me into my next question what misconceptions uh does the green movement have about natural gas what do they get wrong
1: they get it all wrong um you know, when you go back to the beginning of shale development, particularly in the East and Pennsylvania, there was a lot of conversations about uh, or debate about uh, groundwater contamination due to hydraulic fracturing or fracking as they coined it. There's never been evidence of groundwater contamination. Uh, the environmental community then moved to um, uh, underground injection wells and how that's bad for the environment and due seismicity and those a lot of those things have been debunked over the years and it's perfectly safe to put the water that comes up the well bore right back into the ground where you found it. Um, they move to uh, pipeline infrastructure and that's not safe. Well there's never been any evidence that it's not safe and in fact, Moving natural gas and oil through pipeline infrastructure is the safest way to transport it. Um, Now they're back on, uh, they've moved on to air emissions. Um, And the proof from the uh, EIA is that air emissions have gone down as shale development has increased dramatically over the years. So there's no connection there. Um, They've gotten it all wrong, and it's all in the name of what they want to call, you know green, renewable energy. And like I said earlier, that's fine. You can have those sources of energy, but you can't ignore the place that natural gas has uh, in this country's energy portfolio, uh, what it means to GDP and uh, both a- across the country in various states, but also the federal government and the amount of jobs that it employs. And mm-hmm. it's all being done in an environmentally safe way.
0: Yeah, I, I think that um, it, it's important that we note that the, um, the criticism of natural gas and, and, and the real goal of the green energy transition is to reach this fantasy of net zero. But that completely disregards the fact that renewable energy, uh, the production and, and uh, the sourcing of, of these materials for renewable energy is nowhere near net zero itself. And in fact, I don't think there's a single energy source that can be uh, extracted and produced and refined and, and, and delivered to the consumer without producing any carbon whatsoever. I, I just think that that's impossible.
1: Hey, you're spot on, Patrick. And at the end of the day, uh, wind farms and solar panels, you need natural gas mm-hmm. to build uh, wind turbines to build uh, solar panels, you natural gas is, a, is a part of it, whether they like it or not. Um, it, that's just reality.
0: Right. And I actually did forget there is renewable natural gas. Actually there are some carbon neutral renewable natural gas plants that are currently operating. So it's like, they just, they're ignoring the, the clear answer that's that's right in front of them. Um, so moving on uh, to a little more of a, a controversial topic, AOC is famous for her Green New Deal, um, and it's become really a, a popular buzz buzzword on, on the left and the right. And I think people kind of get lost in the details about what it would mean. I take it to mean uh, the realization of the Green New Deal would be eliminating or banning all fossil fuels because that's really what they want to do. So hypothetically, what do you think the outcome would be if we were to ban all fossil fuels in the United States?
1: People would be cold, dark, and hungry. <laughs> um, it, 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 that That's kind of the simple answer, right? Um, you're not going to be able to heat your home in the winter. Good luck living in the New England states, uh, places like Ohio. Um, you're not going to be able to easily just flip your lights on in your home. Um, and you know, it, it's just, it would be devastating to this yeah. country. Uh, you know, the, the impact it would have on not just seeing your home and the costs associated with that, but like I made the point earlier about manufacturers, they expand, they invest in areas of the country that have a reliable, reliable, affordable, uh, clean source of energy. And that all revolves around natural gas. Um, you know, and I don't think you can discount the fact that if you look at the the world and underdeveloped, uh, you know, poor areas of this country, um, what do they all have in common? Patrick, they, they don't have a source of energy. Um, they don't, if you look at places, uh, you know, around the world that are, uh, traditionally, uh, the economy's low, uh, people, uh, are, 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 are poor. Um, they, they don't have that reliable source of energy sitting in their backyard. And what I fear is where the AOCs, the Biden administration, this Congress, is taking us is to an underdeveloped um, part of the world that wants to raise costs on consumers. Uh, they're not worried about the cost because apparently with inflation, everybody can afford it and it's just okay. Um, that's the direction that I think they're going in if you wanna talk about the Green New Deal. Um, you know, I talked about manufacturers, businesses expanding where uh, energy is affordable and reliable. The Green New Deal would completely disrupt the uh, the trends that we're seeing in the private sector when it comes to growth and development, um, and it would be devastating on the economy, and it would be devastating for uh, average American families uh, on you know how they can afford to pay their bills.
0: Yep, uh, and I think we can leave it at that. Uh, it's really that simple. Um, it it would take us back to the to the dark days, and. I don't know why anyone would want to go back to to those dark days. Um, Last question, Matt, because we're running out of time here. What what are your thoughts on uh, specifically this winter? There's been reports that um, the lack of supply of natural gas coupled with um, uh, market pressures globally are are, um, causing this rapid increase in the prices as much as uh, an increase as as much as 30 to 50% for natural gas prices this winter that consumers are gonna feel when they're paying their bills to heat their homes. Um, what are your thoughts of that? And in, in your opinion, do, do you think that that's gonna be the reality this winter?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, listen, uh, costs always go up in the winter for natural gas, right? Uh, people are heating their homes um, and you can always anticipate uh, an increase in, in costs. Um, That's a natural trend. That being said, to increase as much as 50 percent, as you said, is well outside of the norm. Uh, That is that can have a devastating impact on your average American um, and what they're able to do in terms of uh, bills they can pay, putting food on the table. um, And and that that would be that would be devastating. And if that happens, it's because of this administration. Could it happen? Yeah, I, I could see that happening um, because of the policies that this administration has put forward. Um, they are perfectly happy with the reliance on foreign sources of energy. They're not worried about the impacts it has on your average American and bills they have to pay. And it's a complete disregard uh, to the cost for consumers. And so could it happen? Yeah. Do I hope it happens? Absolutely not. Um you know, you need that balance between what costs are good, the cost for consumers and what is good for producers to continue to uh, invest capital to develop natural gas and oil resources. Um, my fear is that this administration isn't worried about what costs, uh, what it means for your average consumer to have energy costs go through the roof the way that we could see this winter.
0: Yeah. and, and. Let's hope it doesn't happen, but it absolutely could. And if it does happen, I think the the key takeaway, the short two second summary is people will suffer. If you take away the access to affordable energy, people are gonna suffer, whether it's in America or any other country across the globe. And that's really why I think the Empowerment Alliance's mission is so important because we, at our heart, at the at our core, we are fighting to protect your right to affordable energy. Um, Matt, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up here?
1: Uh, Patrick, uh, first of all, uh, I appreciate you having me and I'm thrilled to be a part of the team uh, with the Empowerment Alliance. Uh, I think this mission is beyond worthy of uh, getting people's attention and educating policymakers, uh, Advocating for their policymakers to be a pro energy legislator. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of it and look forward to uh, continuing the work that uh, T's done over the last couple of years.
0: Likewise. Yeah, we're, we're happy uh, and excited to have you on board. And uh, yeah, I, I just want everyone who's listening to stay tuned because uh, 2022 is going to be a big year for T. And we're going to have a lot uh, to, to announce here in the near future. So, in the meantime, uh, please follow us on on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, also go on our website, empoweringamerica.org, uh, sign up for our newsletter and um, just make sure that uh, you keep an eye out for uh, news from, from the Empowerment Alliance in 2022. So thanks again, Matt. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of the Empowering America podcast uh, in the near future. So stay tuned. Thanks, everyone.